everyone and welcome back to What About a Pollen podcast. I'm Ops and this week I'm joined by Lecky and Veg as we continue our Pollen rewatch of season two. Our lovely Beans is still busy trying to find the lost city of Atlantis, but until she's back, Lecky Veg, how are you doing? It's a bit chaotic here. You've been telling about your messy desk. Yeah, my my desk is messy. I'm trying to test out a new microphone. Messy desk, messy life. Uh, Ops is... I don't know what Ops is doing. God knows. And Veg is uh, celebrating Texas today. You are. You've got a Texas t-shirt. I am. I'm wearing one of my Texas tees. Oh, and I, yeah, and I'm celebrating Penelope by having a witch shirt on, and it says Wicked Witch on it. <laughs> Burn the witch. <laughs> Veg, you're on holiday. Yeah, I've been sent to Cornwall by evil Lord Featherington. Now he's trying to mimic the show. <laughs> How are you, darling Ops? Oh, lovely Veg. I'm just wonderful. Thank you so much. Every week now, I'm just going to get this bite me straight back, aren't I? Well, I'm great. Thank you, Vegetable. Are you excited for this episode? I know it's one of your favourites. I am so... It's one of my favourite episodes. I love it so much. I think it's really funny. And then when I was when I was doing the notes for this episode, I was like, I don't actually think it's that funny. <laughs> yeah, I cried. Rewatching. Tragic is the word. Yeah, you were crying, weren't you? <laughs> and I was like, it's my favourite. It's my favourite episode. It's hilarious. It's a laugh a second. Also, I just want to say that I know, I will get into this, I know that there are no pollen scenes together this week. And I'm so relieved. <laughs> it is so much harder when they have screen time. <laughs> after last week, after 202, that was a beast to get through. I honestly don't want them to speak to each other for a few weeks. I need a week off. It was kind of stressful because they just wanted to do them justice. Yeah, this is like a more laid back episode. It's a lot of fun. I know that it's a bit tragic, but what can you do? But before we head over to Aubrey Hall for our game of Pall Mall, Lek, can you take us through the breaking crumbs of the week? So Lecky, what have you got for us? Hello, Barbkin. Well, Brazilian voice artist Flora Paulita has once again been providing us with crumbs regarding the dubbing of season three. Paulita, who dubs Penelope's role in the show, last week shared an Instagram story with the voice actresses for Lady Bridgerton and Lady Featherington. This once again confirms that the Brazilian dubbing of the season is still well underway, which we're very excited to hear. Absolutely. The Bridgerton official coloring book is due to be released on October 17th, and a sneak peek of a few of the pages are available on Amazon. Pollen fans will be delighted to know that Colin has been spotted in the Pall Mall scene, so have your baby blue coloring pens at the ready. Sadly, Penelope isn't pictured in the sample <laughs> images, though we are sure she'll appear in the full book. But if you can't wait that long, however, Obs has taken it upon herself to create concept art for how the pollen pages might look, so keep an eye on our Instagram for those. You're all very welcome. But we should also just take a note to say that Obs is being a little quiet because she's trying not to wake any slumbering pirates, but we'll explain what that means next episode. I'm like spring like a mouse. Moving on, a Queen Charlotte-themed exhibition is currently open at Blenheim Palace in Oxfordshire. The exhibition features a selection of costumes from the spin-off and happens to be displayed at one of the series' filming locations. In fact, you may remember from our crumbs that Blenheim Palace was one of the last locations used for filming before the show finally wrapped. If you'd like to visit one of the filming locations, <laughs> see some of the costumes, go check it out. Nicola Coughlin has appeared in another short ad for Uber Eats Australia. It's hilarious, so we recommend you go watch it if you haven't already. <laughs> As part of the ad campaign, Nicola was also interviewed by a couple of Australian news outlets, including the Today Show and Pedestrian TV. During the interviews, Nicola talked about her experience working in the industry, including the challenges she faced during her early career, and admitted that she's dealt with imposter syndrome, which I know so many of us actually face. But they're both wonderful interviews with Nick, so definitely go check them out, especially if you, like me, also love potatoes. <laughs> Who doesn't? Both Nicola and Luke have also been busy this week attending fashion weeks across Europe. Nicola sat in the front row at an Amelia Wickstead show in London, whereas Luke was spotted at the Diesel show in Milan. Both looked absolutely great. They did. Our lovely Eloise, Claudia Jesse, has been cast in Toxic Town, a new limited Netflix series based on the Corby scandal, so a huge congratulations to Claudia. A sneak preview of Jonathan Bailey's new show, Fellow Travelers, has been released. As a reminder, the full series will premiere on Paramount Plus on October 27th. Season 3 cast member Rosa Hesmendalsh will be starring in a new play that opens on the 23rd of September. We believe Rosa will be playing Penelope's new lady's maid in the show, although we do not yet know the name of her character or really anything else about her. <laughs> That's just our pure speculation. <laughs> the play is called We Could All Be Perfect and will be running at the Sheffield Playhouse until the 14th of October, so go support Rosa if you are able to. Yorkshire pollinators, go to Sheffield. I'm not there at the moment, <laughs> so you're representing us off you go. Speaking of season three, cast member James Foon, who will be playing fan favorite Harry Dankworth, even though we also have not yet met him. Again, based on nothing. <laughs> 
he will be starring in the new video game The Talos Principle 2, which is due to be released later this year. So if you're a gamer and also like Bridgerton, there you go. In strike news, all eyes are currently on the ongoing negotiations taking place between the WGA and the AMPTP. This week, the CEOs of Netflix, Disney, Universal, and Warner Brothers also attended the meetings. At the time of this recording, we don't yet know the outcome of these talks, but the WGA released a statement urging as many Guild members as possible to turn out on the picket lines across New York and LA on Friday. And the fact that the WGA has been in talks with the AMPTP for over three days is somewhat encouraging news. Though, everyone hopes these latest round of talks will bring the WGA and AMPTP closer to an agreement it's worth remembering that many within the industry are still feeling the impact of the strikes. If you are in a position to do so, you can, as always, make a donation to the strike funds linked in our show notes. So Lecky, before we get into our episode, have you got something to lighten the mood? Yes. In happier news, today marks the one-year anniversary of the Bridgerton Mad Libs video that was released for To Doom 2022, featuring Luke <laughs> Newton, Nicola Coughlin, and Claudia Jesse. Oh my god, I so vividly remember when that came out and when you messaged me to say it was released, and all I can say is I can't believe it's been a whole year. <laughs> and this weekend will also mark the anniversary of the actual To Doom, which I'm sure everyone <laughs> has their own treasured memories of. Treasured. Again, uh, <laughs> had we known, had we known, like, that's all I'll say, had we known. At least the Mad Libs segment was cute. Uh, a year later, we still haven't got our clip, have we? <laughs> but do you know what we do have? A beautiful friendship. <laughs> Unlike Penn, Colin and Eloise. Yes. But shall we get started on our episode? Sounds good. Let's get going. Thanks, Lecky. So in today's episode, we'll be breaking down everything Penn and Colin from season two, episode three, A Bee in Your Bonnet. It's a much quieter pollen episode this week. Penn's in London, Colin's at Aubrey Hall. We've got zero pollen scenes, but this is still one of my favourites. So should we jump straight in? Lady Veg, can you give us our episode summary? Dearest gentle listener, this episode, the Sharmas and Bridgertons arrive at the Bridgerton country residence of Aubrey Hall, where the families merge and play a rousing game of Pall Mall. After feeling her household under threat, Portia Featherington schemes for Prudence to woo cousin Jack. Penelope reveals her secret to Madame Delacroix and proposes a joint enterprise to benefit them both. And the viewer learns of Anthony Bridgerton's traumatic past. Thank you, Lady Veg. And now to get started on our rewatch, which we are affectionately calling What a Blade of Grass, or, for those amongst you, Medice Watch, depending on where your loyalties lie. It's a tough world out there for Medeists, and, well, single blades of grass impacts off. <laughs> and you know who else it's a tough week for? Edmund Bridgerton. <laughs> so, Aubrey Hall is where we're going to begin this episode in a flashback that takes us back to May 1803. Just to note, the subtitles on the screen tells us that it's 10 years earlier, but as season two is set in 1814, it's actually 11 years earlier. We have an 18-year-old Anthony hunting in the woods with his father, the eighth Viscount Bridgerton, good old Edmund. I don't know why this is such a light-hearted episode in my head, because poor Edmund doesn't even make it past the opening credit. <laughs> but for the next few seconds at least, Edmund is alive and well, and it's our first time meeting the patriarch. Once again, the casting team have done an insane good job in finding Rupert Evans. I think he looks really like Luke Newton and Claudia Jesse. The casting team are always on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Lecky, whilst we've got Edmund with us, what's going on? Just as a general discussion point to get us started, Edmund, pre-beasting, tells Antony that you cannot show someone your best without allowing them to see your worst. It's interesting to consider Edmund's advice here in terms of Pollen, who have a very different relationship to Cantony, for example, because with Penn, Colin already knows her best and now needs to see her worst, and vice versa, though we'll see a glimpse of that in 208 poor Penn, um, in order for them to become a couple. So like Nick has noted many times, Penn has Colin on a pedestal, and I think you could argue that Colin has Penn on one as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle the Lady Whistledown reveal in season three. Yeah, he's definitely got himself off that pedestal now, as Nick. <laughs> but I do like your point about how Colin also has Penn on a pedestal. I think it's something she actually tries to counter in, t- in 207, which we'll get to in a few weeks. And I think it's something that's only going to intensify as he starts to understand the depths of his feelings for her. He's going to put her up on this high pedestal. And I think they both need to fall off to be equals and to be seen Mm -hmm. as flawed humans which is such a core theme of romancing Mr Bridgerton that neither of them are perfect and they have to see their worst sides to appreciate their best just as as Edmund reminds us here there's not a super delicate way to cover this next part to be honest Edmund stops to collect flowers for Violet which is just gorgeous but a fatal mistake he wafts a bee gets stung and dies in Violet's arms as Anthony watches (laughs) on in paralysing horror I told you there's no easy way to cover it it is a devastating way to kick off an otherwise light-hearted episode (laughs) 
I just did like the summary there, but this isn't important at all. But in last week's Crumbs, we mentioned a recent article where Nick implied that she'd rather not date someone from the Regency era. And this episode just reminds me how much I'd probably hate to live in the Regency era. I always Mm -hmm. think I'd probably die since I tend to get very sick when I'm ill and having any sort of illness or or life-threatening bee allergy would just suck. Yeah, I don't think I'd do super well. I'd definitely need liquid soap. I have OCD and I just need to be around cleaning product all the time. So I don't think lemon juice would cut it. I've always said if I was in Bridgerton, I'd be one of the maids, which is fine by me. I'll I'll fall in love with Benedict. That's my true destiny. Yeah, you'd be a nice maid. As you can see, we wouldn't make it through very well. So we're very happy to let Shondaland make it a beautiful fantasy that we can all fawn over. And as Edmund is dying in Violet's arms, the rest of the siblings (laughs) all pile out of the door of August. Stop laughing! Lucky! (laughs) Terrible! No offence to Edmund, sorry. The rest of the siblings all pile out of the door of Aubrey Hall, having heard Anthony and Violet screams for help. Violet is, of course, heavily pregnant with Hyacinth, but we can see the rest of the family, who are very roughly approximately the following ages. So we've got a 16-year-old Ben, 9-year-old Colin, 8-year-old Daphne, 7-year-old Eloise, 6-year-old Fran, and a little tiny 2-year-old Greg. Perhaps the only redeeming aspect of this scene is that we get a glimpse of baby Colin in the background. And just for Aww. clarification, since I think I've confused some people with this term, generally when we say baby pollen, we just mean young pollen. <laughs> so mm-hmm. here we have a cute baby Colin siding with his younger siblings, all played by child actors except for Luke Thompson, who they instead <laughs> tried to make look younger by sticking bangs on him. But who cares? We've got a baby Colin. Here's hoping we see you again in season three. <laughs> Very well done. Uh, yeah, young Colin is played by a child actor called Bailey Carroll. And Every sibling, if you look carefully, are actually wearing the colours that represent them and that they will then carry through to them into the versions we know them as, so they're a bit more recognisable to us. For example, the girls with the ribbons, they all have their matching ribbons, so Fran has peach, Daphne has her baby blue, Eloise has her green ribbons, but Veg, what do we have baby Colin in? Well, here we get our first ever look at Cravat Colin working chronologically (laughs) through the canon, so this is the Cravat debut. Um, I'd have to check with that evil Bridgerton doctor that we'll see later this episode but I'm pretty sure that Colin may have been pushed out upon the phrasing wearing a full three-piece suit and cravat. <laughs> I don't know if you guys agree. He just came into this world cravatted. <laughs> Baby Colin has a sort of royal blue velvet jacket, a very typical colour mm. for Colin. As you said, the colours are very representative of them. A yellowish waistcoat. Whoop, whoop. No, not yellowish. We're going full on it. It's bright yellows, goldenly yellow. <laughs> okay, full yellow waistcoat. Gotta lean into it. And a light blue cravat. So just like Penn is in his future destiny, he's destined for this type of costume as well. It's really, <laughs> really similar to some of his future costumes, like even the outfit from the races last episode, uh, Vauxhall. And in fact, if you scale up this outfit and darken the cravat a bit. The hair and the costume is pretty perfectly Vauxhall, in my opinion. It's a great little match. And this does raise the question, do you think, did Colin meet Penelope before or after Edmund died? And I think there are implications either way. So if he met Penelope before Edmund died, then Penelope is this constant force in his life that was there throughout a very turbulent time for Colin and Eloise and that would also make her the only spouse that's ever met Edmund but on the other hand if Colin and Eloise met Penelope after Edmund's death then she represents this sort of light and happiness that would in what would have been a very difficult time for them. Yeah I can see it both ways. Mm. I wonder if she could still be you know that source of sunshine in his life even if she had met Edmund and personally I think it would be really sweet if if she had been part of the family for that long but I I mean I would take either (laughs) either option as long as we get baby pollen i'm I'm happy and a little meet cute i can imagine edmund riding we have tried to figure out if reaper evans is returning to season three and if he is they're keeping it on lockdown we keep our eyes peeled and we did we touched on this briefly last season but this scene as a sequence for anthony follows a tradition of the flashback that we see in each season so season one was simon's season two was anthony's if we do get a flashback which we're hoping for would it be collins to continue the tradition of it being the male whose flashback we see Or would it be the love interest, so Penelope's? Would it be a shared flashback for them both? As we've said before, we really want to see baby Pollen. Is there anything in particular about their past that you would want to know about? You know, I've never thought about that before. That's actually interesting because I just, from Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, that's so fully a Penelope point of view moment. But it would be interesting if they took us by surprise and threw us into a flashback and we realized we were actually in Colin's point of view for that meeting. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I, I, I guess like this is the same thing I just said. I don't care. <laughs> just give me baby pollen. <laughs> just get it on the screen. But it would be like surprising if they, they did a Colin point of view for that scene, or at least at first. I think as well, it'd be nice to see Colin seeing something with his parents if, if uh, Rupert is yeah. in the next series. Because we talk about how maybe there's going to be that vibe with them of the Violet and Edmund partnership. So maybe him seeing that and sort of seeing why he's got this impression of love that he does have. Yeah, that's lovely. a good point, like where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Also, so one of the big mysteries of the show is what Colin thinks of Penelope. So if we see their first meeting from his yeah. perspective and see what she meant to him from like the moment they were introduced to each other, that could kind of like help flesh out our our idea of like how Colin sees Penelope and like what, you know, she's meant to him for all these years. And why he has that mental block with her. And yes. also why does he have this need to rescue and be the hero? Um, and as we said, we don't know if the actor for young Colin is going to return to season three or even if there will be any kind of flashback. And if there is what stage of life that would be for both of them. This episode is heavily about the effect of Edmund's death on Anthony and Violet in particular. We don't really see too much about how it impacted the other siblings and it's something that wasn't brought up in Daphne's season. But Veg, as you just touched on there, it is something interesting to consider as to whether they are going to tap into Colin's relationship with his parents and possibly the impact that Edmund's death had on Colin. As we've said, he was only nine or ten when his father died. And in Inside Bridgerton, Luke Newton actually talked about this and about how Colin's life was shaped by the loss of his father. He said, I think Colin probably spent a lot of time trying to pick everyone's spirits up during those harder times. You see this in him now and how he's generally unfazed by all the drama unfolding in the family. He's pretty disengaged. I think that's part of his coping mechanism due to his his dad when he was so young and understanding it's better to steer a wide path through the hard stuff rather than take it on and I think we have seen this cope mechanism manifesting Colin already so yeah he's very jokey with his siblings he doesn't get too involved or faced by the drama he's more laid back he's not hot-headed like Anthony but we also saw with the marina situation so he ran away from that by going traveling to Greece and he is a lot more introspective than people think he is I think he copes by retreating and turning inwards and is that part of his mental block with Penelope that he avoids tackling different questions of how he might actually feel because he's not ready to work through that and he has a habit of avoiding the difficulties in life Uh, but yeah how's he gonna handle it in season three when he is forced into action when he won't be able to be disengaged Betsy Beers all said that he wants to be a saviour to be gallant and she wondered if this was a reverberation from being too young to help his mother in the aftermath of Edmund's death and that's possibly where his strong instinct to rescue the damsel in distress comes from because he wasn't able to when he was younger because he was so little Mm -hmm. and the last thing that I'll bring up from Jess Brownell the showrun of season three she said that that she felt like both seasons one and season two were about male leads who had a lot of darkness in their past and Anthony losing his father in particular being a formative experience. She says obviously Colin has lost the same father but that she thought of Colin and Penelope as being characters who were more about comedy. So will season three touch on Edmund? Will it touch on his death? Will Colin end up being, like you say, Lecky, is the idea of love that's come from Colin's parents more uh, formative than the death of his father? Yeah. Well, we've mentioned before, but we strongly suspect that there will be a Pollen to Edmund and Violet parallel uh, stemming from that mm-hmm. portrait we saw in the This Morning Leak and uh, Queen Charlotte. Oh my god, the This Morning Leak. That we will never uh, actually see. <laughs> How long ago was that now? That was January the 9th, and that said, coming soon. <laughs> Listeners, it did not. Uh, but these are the crumbs we live for. So... We are hoping that Edmund, if if he's not physically in the series, he's definitely going to have a presence there throughout the portraits and stuff. But I I do think that Edmund's life and the way that he loved his family is going to be more formative for Colin as opposed to losing his dad as it was for Anthony. But, you know, what a cheerful way to start the episode. It's nice that it sounds like it'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, really. A laugh a minute episode. Should we go see if Penn's doing any better? Another, another fatherless child. Let's go check in on her. So we find that Penn is actually one of the luckless souls remaining in town who will have to find new diversions in the absence of their precious stones. Missing Colin and Elle, are we, Penn? Lecky, what's she up to? Penn's pacing, which apparently gives Portia indigestion. <laughs> and Penn looks like she's gotten indigestion when Portia suggests that they take a trip to the Bodiste. Strangely, Penn's feelings don't seem to be related to her bow outfit from the last episode or <laughs> any of her other dresses, but because she fears discovery, because Jen now knows her identity. Dun, dun, dun. And in the scene, Penn is 
wearing a lovely yellow and has some loose curls. We love to see it. We said we'd be tracking Penn's curls in series two and here we do see them begin to soften. So it's the beginning of the end of nightmare hairstyles, maybe. maybe? Rest in peace, poodle hair. Also, so the Bridgerton hair and makeup designer Erica Ockfist said in series one that the tight curls were because she was under Portia's control. And in series two, she has her own means and she's able to think for herself, especially now Philip is married and how Portia's going to be distracted with Prudence here. And she said the decision to slowly loosen the curls throughout series two was deliberate to stop it being particularly jarring and said if you go slowly your mother won't notice so very true this is something that is officially happening and it's leading to series three and i just think she looks so nice (laughs) i think pen's dress is gorgeous here by the way this is one of my favorite looks and if you look closely there are some butterflies among the like floral appliques on her dress Mm. this is just a really nice dress and i think it's a really nice cut as well the sleeves are sort of more the style we've seen in the first looks for series three as well i don't know if you guys agree i honestly think that if you'd put some of a select number of her season two dresses into season three i'd be like yep that's i would have been happy yeah i think she was gorgeous (laughs) yeah and we've also liked to note that cousin jack here is in another blue ensemble he's wearing a blue shirt and waistcoat and a yellowish cream cravat again hinting that perhaps a certain bridgerton may one day be head of the featherington household as we said last episode i'm not fully sold (laughs) but (laughs) lecky loves to see it Obs, I think you're also I could go either way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, everyone is pretty stressed over at Featherington House because speaking of the Bridgertons, they're going to join them in the country in a few days, which is why they end up needing to go to the Modiste. So Portia is concerned that Cousin Jack is planning to marry, which would make her and her daughter's positions more precarious. So she comes up with the wonderful solution to marry off Prudence to Cousin Jack. (laughs) Penelope wisely points out that Jack is their cousin, causing Portia to scrunch up her nose and declare in a hilarious manner, oh, Penelope. I just uh, love Polly Walker's acting here. Yeah, she's like, oh, Penelope. (laughs) Yeah. It's regal pen. Get some class, girl. And we leave the scene as pen very despairingly puts her head into her hands. But let's catch up with the 1814 bunch of Bridgertons who are once again at their country seat of Aubrey Hall. Do we think we're going to go back to Aubrey in season three? It's described as an annual excursion, so we might do. Or do you think we could even go to see Penn's country seat? <laughs> I hope that we see Penelope's uh, country home because we, we haven't seen any, any you know, part of their lives except for the town and she goes away and we'd have no idea what her life is like in the country. So I think that would be exciting. But here Daphne arrives at Aubrey Hall with baby Augie, notably one of the very last scenes where we'll see the whole family together as Fred is absent from the rest of the episode. And Colin looks great, but sadly his colour palette is very dangerously close to Gregory's again here. <laughs> Um, And when the brothers are standing side by side, you can see Greg in a baby blue coat and Collins isn't far off. He is is on his baby blue journey. And we're also in the country, so Collins wearing some nice boots. boots, Excellent boots. boots. Very, very nice. Yeah, baby blue Collins on his way. Uh, I think it's interesting that he makes his first appearance when he goes back to his childhood home, which is a bit of a state of regression for him, as we'll delve into later with the tea scene. Mm-hmm. I love Baby Blue Colin. I know everyone doesn't, but I'll defend him to the end of time. Oh, no, hey, I, I also love Baby Blue Colin. This, is a, Baby Blue? this is a Baby Blue Colin safe space. Mm-hmm. It's not a Colin safe space when we've got Veg as a host. <laughs> yeah, I've defended him several times in comments. You have, you have. So, you're welcome. You're getting there, you're growing. Yes, some character <laughs> growth there. I'm proud of you. <laughs> but as the baby is being handed over to Violet, I love watching Colin and Anthony's reactions in the background here. They both just look delighted <laughs> by their tiny new house guest, and Colin is even staring at the baby in, like, open-mouthed amazement. Just adorable. <laughs> and yet another reminder that Colin is great with kids, which we will revisit later this episode. In which you her very heavily last season. Eloise takes the baby and she looks like it's a bomb in her hand that's about to go off at any second. As ever, Colin comes to the rescue because like you say, Lec, he absolutely loves babies. Colin says, do not mind your Auntie Eloise. She's too busy reading to notice anything else as usual. And Elle makes a dig back saying, is it not that time? Perhaps Uncle Colin will lull you to sleep with his many tales from his travels. And this is the start of Eloise's digs at Colin's travel stories. And Colin retorts that he's missing the peace and solitude of the Greek Isles already. Yeah, Colin, sure you are. You're missing the times when you could sadly stare at blades of grass. <laughs> be tormented about the past and wait with bated <laughs> breath for a minute the letter from Vesti. 
We hear you. <laughs> We've touched on this previously as well, but here Colin clocks Elle slipping some papers into Ooh. her book. I think this is the women's rights pamphlet that Theo gave her last episode, but I think we're supposed to infer that this is the start of Colin suspecting that Eloise has a secret. The Cabri very deliberately captures him noticing her actions here, which seems like the start of him suspecting that Elle may be Lady Whistledown, which we will also revisit later. Listeners, if you haven't read the books, this is a key part of Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, a plot line where Colin suspects and later accuses Eloise of being Lady Whistledown. And we kind of suspect from moments like this, Lucky, that you said that this is something that the show might be introducing in season three. As we say, we'll get into it in a future episode, but the boy's suspicious. We're taking notes. Um, so the Sharmas and Lady Danbury arrive at Aubrey Hall and the Bridgertons pile outside to greet them. And there are two little Colin moments in the background that I just love here. Mm. I think Ops was the first one to point this out yeah. to me. But Colin adorably helps Lady Danbury up the stairs while she's carrying Augie by holding up the back of her dress, which I think is just so sweet. And right before this, Colin also kind of hangs back with Lady Danbury and the baby, which I like to imagine is just because Colin really likes children. Though it's likely <laughs> Luke just needed to hang back because they'd planned for him to help Adjua up the stairs in her costume. But it's just a great little moment this is good because i think she's gonna be such a good ally mm-hmm. like she is in the book it feels like a tiny nod to it doesn't it yes and she's just a strong yeah. member of the ton that like this is good news yeah it's a tiny tiny background moment and we're gonna read into it and take this <laughs> tiny little choice as obviously lady Danbury is gonna have a huge role in colin and Penn's story because we're nothing but neck clowns. <laughs> also notice that Colin gives a tiny, tiny look at Edwina and Anthony when Kate calls her sister over. We mentioned it last week that Luke Newton tried to include these small moments, like this one and, and a couple more we'll see later in the episode. So keep your eyes peeled for those. But now that the Sharmas and Lady Danbury have arrived, there's only one thing for it. We're off for a game of Pall Mall. <laughs> There are some fun pollen Easter eggs throughout the Pell sequence. Mm-hmm. We've covered a lot of this in our Crumbs episode and in a little reel on our TikTok and Instagram if you want to check them out. So we're going to dive a bit deeper into the scene here, but shout out to Ob's favorite detail here, the yellow mallet. Yes, yellow mallet supremacy. This was my origin. This was where I noticed it, Googled it, ended up on a little website called reddit.com. And the rest is painful, painful history. We love it. <laughs> and the first shot of the Palmel sequence is Daphne stabbing the number three wicket into the ground and saying, this will teach Colin, which is excellent foreshadowing for series three and is just one of many similar moments. Mm-hmm. But we also see some of Colin's personality shine through across the whole sequence, which I love. He's dressed similar to Gregory, um, who doesn't seem to be allowed to play. Which I would just like to say I feel really sorry for. Yeah. Because do you remember last season, Hyacinth and Gregory asked Anthony if they were allowed to play? And Anthony was like, we'll see. And they got so excited and they're not allowed to play. Because the Sharmas are around. But yeah, so his clothes are beautiful and really spring-like. And Mm. do you know what? I've always thought that Pollen have spring vibes spring. and it almost makes me don't crucify me but if this does come out in winter it's gonna not feel quite the same as if it came out in spring mm-hmm. but i would rather have it sooner i'd rather wait i'm good with delayed oh. gratification you can wait until the 200 oh, <laughs> book pollen anniversary and i'd be happy i do want to wait for the 200 because that would be perfect imagine that it would be good the I think. 200th wedding anniversary guys we're cursing it i mean like i feel like they've waited all this time what's a couple more months i don't oh. i mean like uh, we're already cursed as long as it's not another year um i'm okay if it's like t- december 2025 i would be upset Moving on, before the game begins, Daphne shares a little insider knowledge with Kate and Edwina. Daphne states that Benedict is a solid shot, but he avoids conflict. Colin is crafty. He will strike when he thinks you're least suspecting it, so always be suspecting it. Not only mm-hmm. does this hint that Benedict will avoid conflict by blowing out of the race for season three, allowing Colin to take the season, but it reveals more about Colin's personality, especially his craftiness. I really hope we see more of this side of his personality in season three. We kind of see it earlier in this episode with Colin taking note of Elle's behavior, and again later on this season with cousin Jack, but I want him to notice evidence that Penn is Lady Whistledown in season three, proving that he is as crafty as Daphne says here, and maybe employ a crafty solution to convince her to marry him or, you know, help her get out of any Lady Whistledown trouble, potentially. While I think that Penn is capable of saving herself, I wouldn't mind Colin getting a little hero moment in season three. I think the phrase you're looking for is chaos, Colin, there, Letty. (laughs) Yes. 
I want to see this sort of craftiness in his approach to sabotaging her suitors. This is the energy I want him to bring where when he realises like what a fucking stupid idea I've had there mm-hmm. and he just starts undermining all of all of the suitors or just like kicking them out of the game. For those interested in the Odyssey and Greek myth parallels that we've mentioned in past episodes, this would be another element of Colin or Odysseus's craftiness if they brought that into season three. So that'd be really cool. Before Palmal kicks off, we need to check in. Our girl's dressed. How's she doing? Portia takes Prudence to the Modis for dresses that will better show off her assets, and both Pen and Jen seem <laughs> like they wish they could be anywhere else. I hope Pen gets some dresses that better show off her assets next season. But she bloody better because... We do. Portia goes, it must be lower in the bust. You must make the most of a young lady's figure. So she evidently does understand the concept of a well-fitted <laughs> dress. So what has all this suffering been for? (laughs) Jen protests but gets reprimanded and when Portia says, I pay you to fashion the dresses as I see fit. So here we go, vindication for Jen. It's not that she doesn't know how to design a dress for Pen, it's just that she's not been able to. We'll let you off, Jen. We've got other Medis to be ruined in this episode. Yeah, and Pen is still in her lovely yellow dress but it's now paired with an adorable set of yellow gloves and a reticule. The details from the costuming team here are chef's kiss. I just love her looks this season. Meanwhile, as Portia and Genevieve clash about Prudence's bright orange dress, Portia decides to take her business to a new modiste from Vienna who has opened up shop in town. <gasps> ding, ding, ding. What What have you just said, Lucky? Who's in town? <laughs> well, a new modiste. Yes, you've heard right. This episode is the first time we meet, well, learn of, one of our fan favorite <laughs> characters, the soon-to-be-ruined modiste. And thus, modiste watch begins. Now, as we said before... On this podcast, we are a big advocate for women in business, but unfortunately, this woman will not be in business for very long. <laughs> it's our dearly departed from the ton, the unnamed ruined Modiste, who has caused a lot of controversy in the fandom. This is one of Penn's biggest crimes, according to many. It's one of the reasons she should be burnt at the stake. As you've got your t-shirt, burn the witch, Lecky. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm I'm repping for the Modiste this episode. So, welcome to town, unnamed modiste don't get comfortable as always saying we will be tracking your movements so pen is in full (laughs) panic mode here so we can feel her relief when jen brushes off their run-in last episode in an unsavory part of town stating a lady's business is her own jen knows how to be discreet yeah she knows a thing or two about hiding a true identity and before pen leaves a delivery boy enters carrying bolts of fabric and genevieve anxiously remarks i only hope i may have use for them clever pen though she still looks quite worried here likely takes note of this and portia's earlier comments about the other mode as we will learn later this episode when she returns to Jen's shop. I do love Penn in this scene because she's so nervous and unsure and she's been found out. Like, it's a big deal. Like, if Jen wants to go and ruin her, then she easily could. And, and I love that Jen is like, I've got you back. Yeah. I see you. We've got each other. So, phew, Penn isn't going to be burnt at the stake anytime soon, thankfully. So, let's start our game of Hal I love the transition here because it goes from Penelope's face directly to Colin's hand covering the mallets, including the yellow one. Yes. <laughs> and here we have the beginning of the iconic Palmal game, which is a very, very, very famous sequence from the books. The showrunner for season one and two, Chris Van Dusen, said this scene in particular stood out to him from the very first time he read the novels. And indeed, it was something that was highly anticipated by all the fans. The way they filmed this was really, really fun. And there's a lot of behind the scenes videos, which we'll share because they're just brilliant to watch them all having fun. Basically, Mm -hmm. they just set the cameras up and they just let all the actors go for it and play Pal Mal. And apparently their competitive spirit really came out. So just a couple of anecdotes from filming. Uh, Newt said that it was all improvised. Jonathan Bailey said that Luke Thompson was so overpowering with his stick that twice it snapped. But he also added that it was a really brilliant way to allow other characters to show a different side of themselves. Like you say, Veg, it brings out a playful side to Colin, a competitive side to others. And Claudia Jesse said it was something that people were all anticipating and that the actors were all terrible at doing it because it was really hard to play. The Luke Thompson a little detail there is funny because one of my favorite behind the scenes videos is the one where he gets the, the ball through the hoop with, with his Shout legs. out to him. That is amazing. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> also a little anecdote of this is that Newt and Claudia both had terrible hay fever throughout the entire filming. So absolute oh. kudos has to go to the makeup team for keeping them nice and tearful free yeah also my last favorite anecdote about filming of this is that have you seen that video where they all were asked if they named their pal mal mallets so i think uh, Teresa said hers was pamelet anderson yeah mm-hmm. and jonathan bailey would name his 
Brian. Yeah, I love but, that. But speaking of mallets, which colour does Colin pick everyone? Yellow. Yeah, 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 it was yellow. all yellow. And I think that you can hear Colin say, that's my one, as they all run in to oh, grab them. Stop. Oh. I might be hallucinating, mate. I'm going to have to go and check oh. that. They're all talking over each other. And I think, I think you're going to, I will print a retraction if I'm wrong. Uh, I think he says, that's my one. And just a quick note from the editor, Colin does in fact say, that's my one. And you can just about make out him also saying, I had it last afterward, although it's slightly cut off. But here it is. Let us know if you agree with us. That's my one. I had it last. That's my one. I had it last. And off they go. He's got his yellow mallet in hand. He swings it as they head off to the field of combat. And just to touch on all the other colours, because this is very tied into the foreshadowing and the storytelling that we've previously spoken about. Edwina chooses the blue mallet because she's trying to be a Bridgerton and trying to fit into that role. Benedict picks purple, which is the colour of the Bridgerton maids, mm-hmm. hinting at Sophie. Mm-hmm. Eloise's is orangey yellow, a shade that we'll see next episode when Colin heads over to Romney Hall. We see that's a prominent colour of the estate. Colin obviously picks yellow, um, but keep an eye because that green one might be trading hands in the future. (laughs) And Daphne is already settled in her love match, so she just gets whichever mallet is left behind by default. But as I said, we'll be keeping our eyes on those mallets, especially in episode eight. So as I said, this was an iconic scene from Kate and Anthony's book. And Pollen fans will remember very vividly that the epilogue of The Viscount Who Loved Me, the real mallet of death, comes in quite prominently in a little Pollen scene. It's really nice as well, like this scene is because it was such an iconic book scene, like and mm-hmm. the writers and directors and the whole team really put a lot of effort into it. It does give me hope for series three and some of the scenes we'll get that are the iconic book scenes, like the carriage and stuff. I think the production team really have a good grasp on which scenes matter to fans the most. So yeah, carriage, definitely. We'll see what else we get. Also notice how Colin sees the tension between Kate and Anthony, which is another Newt's nod to the books. And Colin also very much enjoys watching Anthony get roasted by Kate. She's going to fit right in with the family. Colin and Benedict go to third wicket. Benedict takes his shot and misses. And Colin says, your head is elsewhere, brother. Otherwise, you never would have given me such an easy shot. And then Colin hits his ball through the wicket which again shows that Benedict is not ready for season three because his head is elsewhere and paving the way for our lovely pollen next year or whatever decade we get the season. (laughs) In this exchange, Ben is opening up about his desire to attend art school and remarks that he hopes to distinguish himself as Colin has done and cites his brother's travels. He says it's hardly a grand tour as you had. This is maybe one of the only times that any of the Bridgertons take Colin's travel seriously, except for maybe Daphne in season one. Mostly they just joke about it. And from the way Luke Newton plays this scene, it seems like Colin, even though he desperately wants people to think his travels made him distinguished, quietly Mm. disagrees with his brother's assessment. You can kind of see it on his face. Yeah, it's a really sweet moment where Benedict is almost inspired by Colin but Colin knows it's there's an emptiness there behind it and it's something that Luke has talked about he says that his traveling was a theme of both seasons so far it's a constant prompt to suggest he's going to have some excitement in his life something that will make him seem interesting which is what Benedict here says about distinguishing himself but Luke continued and said I think once he checks off his list he feels his lack of purpose and drive even more acutely it's what next what do I do next that kind of feeling so like you say Lecky it's a facade that he's putting up and we see later how he tells his stories of Greece as a way to try and make himself believe that he really enjoyed it but we know the truth which is that he didn't and to dig into this a little deeper and maybe rant a little bit I think some fans not us obviously think that Colin isn't a very interesting character and I think that is because his arc is so internalized he's dealing Mm -hmm. with this crisis of self this season um, and last season really. But I personally love the way the writers handle his character this season. And Luke Newton apparently agrees with me because in an article with Glamour, Luke mentions that he actually liked that Colin wasn't really changed by his travels because he was able to pick up with the character where he left off, kind of taking a slow burn approach to Colin's storyline, very fitting for a friends to lovers hero. But to me, I think there's something much more interesting and realistic about the idea of someone going off to travel and expecting to come back a changed and grown man, and then having that not happen at all, with Colin realizing that not all answers come so easily. Yeah, I do love how internalised his journey is. It's a contrast that I think we'll see next year when he's he does go away. Because that is the question as to why he goes away travelling again. Because he seemingly didn't enjoy these travels or they didn't fulfil what he hoped they would. And they didn't distinguish him. They might have distinguished him externally. So people like his family and Eloise is always like, oh, you've been everywhere you wanted to be. 
but inside he doesn't feel the benefit of that and it's like a hollowness that's associated mm-hmm. with his travels so it is an interesting question as to why he then chose to go away and if when he does return will the swagger that he's going to come back with be a facade or will that be a genuine development and genuine growth for his character but it's a very sweet moment between the two siblings because we've said it before that Colin's actually very perceptive. We know that maybe not with Penelope, he sometimes right. misses things, but with his siblings in particular, we saw it last year with Daphne. He does pick up on when there's something wrong with his siblings. And it's a really sweet moment of encouragement between the two of them where we see how encouraging and supportive Colin is of Benedict's pursuits in particular. But the game continues. Colin gets a good shot. He's very happy with. We love to see it. So Anthony goes off to speak to Edwina and to Rehashara, but you can just about hear the other siblings in the background chatting with each other. And Benedict says, oh, I missed it. And Eloise says, Colin, it's your turn. Mm. Once again, reinforcing that season three was there in plain sight all along. We also get a little matchmaker Colin sighting as he knocks Kate's ball into the thicket with Antony's. It's a direct nod to the book <laughs> and Colin's role in Cantonese story. Uh, this also ties into Daphne's warning that he's crafty and will strike when you're least expecting it. Such a little shit stirrer. It's, it's a side that we don't normally see to him, but I love this playful energy. But I have to say, I always feel really, really bad for how upset Kate looks by it. She looks really out i think it's just simone ashley plays it really well and i'm always like oh colin so our main plot continues the two love interests head off into the woods together sadly colin doesn't win this palmall match but as book colin would attest he's already won just by annoying the others job well done <laughs> So back at Aubrey Hall, there's some adorable eavesdropping with Violet and Lady Danbury. (laughs) Um, But Daphne is having a little talk with Antony. Yeah, so the two of them speak about what love sort of means. And Daphne sort of advises that she feels that love is looking at someone and just it filling your whole being. Yeah, so I just love the way that Daphne describes love in this scene. But I also Mm -hmm. do note that it is fairly specific. So she's sort of got this idea of love, of hers speaks to the passion and lust that she and Simon share and their journey and their unique type of love in series one and she's sort of saying this to Anthony and then he does have some of that with Kate but it is different as well and I think each Bridgerton has their own idea of what they expect love to be and it's also shaped by their family and Collins is I think shaped by as we said before his parents and maybe some ideas like this as well like will we have moments like this in series three where the others are sort of saying their ideas of love and he has all these expectations before he finally realizes what love means to him because that's a very romancing Mr Bridgerton type of scene and obviously we now know that Daphne is for a start Daphne plays this role here for Anthony which she played much closer for Colin in his book and we also know that Daphne isn't going to be in next season but it very much is like when Colin went to her for advice in the books because he had a very firm idea of what love was and he was just so confused by how it applied to Penelope in his life and what it meant Mm -hmm. and her advice was kind of similar it was it was that everyone's type of love is different and you experience things differently so Daphne is concerned that Antony doesn't feel passion for Edwina and they have this little exchange here where she discusses kind of sexual attraction and it just brings to mind to me that we haven't really seen that side of Penn Mm. or Colin yet which may be a shock to our system in season three A very welcome shock to our system, though. (laughs) Speaking of passion and attraction, we've got some lessons in seduction taking place over at the Featherington drawing room as Portia is embarking very heavily on her campaign to get the two cousins, fourth cousin, sorry, hooked up together. And Penn is there rolling her eyes disdainfully. She would never have to stoop to the level of having lessons in seduction, would she, Penn? (laughs) You know... Get off your high horse, babe, because in a year's time, you'll be on that sofa, fingers crossed. Yes. Although hopefully slightly less tame. We're hoping for a bit more action than the fluttering of a fan next year. <laughs> Shondaland, yeah. just so you know what's on our wish list. Um, but Penn asks if she can return to the Medes for new ribbons. She urgently needs a chat with Jen, but is dismissed by Portia. And Cousin Jack decides to host the Cowpers for dinner. Portia nearly Yay. blows a gasket at this, and Prudence apparently <laughs> really wants to sing. But what we're really interested in is Cousin Jack's travel. Yes, you heard that correctly. Not Colin's travels, but Cousin Jack's. Penn is going to be paying particular attention to them too. Uh, By the Mm. way, she looks gorgeous this episode still, um, with her hair hanging down in a new style and a yellow dress, but with very Featherington feathery additions. Have to say, this... Oh, Lecky, I can see your face already. We never see eye (laughs) to eye on Penn's bloody costumes. This is genuinely one of my favourite Penelope looks. And I know it's a bit unusual, like the feathers are a bit strange, but I honestly think this is... 
this is whistled. This is the Featherington side of Whistledown, if that makes sense. She looks absolutely lethal. It's like what Edwina says. She wears it well. I think it's an amazing dress. I think she looks completely badass. Yeah. I mean, Let I understand. Your face is telling me something different. <laughs> I understand <laughs> your point. Um, I think the cut of this dress is nice, but something about the feather embellishments is not my cup of tea. Uh, but she looks lovely regardless, just not one of my favorites. Um, no, no, no. So- You're more about the eight to nine bows, aren't you, babe? <laughs> So we've touched on some other parallels between Jack and Colin this season, but this particular scene highlights Jack's travels in a way that many Pollen fans find interesting. Mm-hmm. Earlier in this episode, Portia hints to Cousin Jack that Prudence is interested in his travels and he immediately perks up. Here, Cousin Jack is asked by Lady Cowper why he hasn't married yet, and he immediately starts talking about his travels. He replied that he wished to establish himself in the world first. Does that ring a bell for Pollen fans? Last episode, Colin made a similar remark to Penn in the bow scene where he explained he wanted to fully understand himself before stepping back into the world of courtship. And later this season, we learn he's preoccupied with finding his purpose. He wants to establish himself in the world. But Cousin Jack goes on to say that there comes a time in everyone's life when one needs a partner, someone who sees you as you truly are to help ease the burdens of the day. If that isn't pollen... I wonder who that could be. Specifically purposing pollen, then I don't know what is. (laughs) Also, hat tip to our friend Trisky, who pointed out that the camera cuts to Penelope throughout this scene as Cousin Jack is talking perhaps hinting at Penelope's future with a different traveler. Such a good point to note because it's very cleverly cooked. Penelope is very interested in what's going on and I think she knows, but you know, one of those scenes where Colin could have really done with paying attention to conversations, isn't it? But what's that I hear, Lecky? Do we have another little mention of our favourite yet-to-be-ruined Medice? Luckily, her business still seems to be thriving, thank goodness. Thank the God. Cowpers thank seem to be a fan of her work, remarking that Jen's design seemed tired by comparison. Insulting a modiste in this fandom, <gasps> how dare you? He never would. Pen is absolutely <laughs> seething. This is where I think her outfit, like, really kicks in. Lady Whistledown is pissed off. She's not having that kind of shade thrown towards her and her new bestie. Soon, new bestie. I love how deadly she looks at the Cowpers here. You know that she's like writing the edition in her head as she sits there, which is how she copes <laughs> with the world, isn't it? She can't yeah. stand up for herself in the moment. So the ink is already drying on the page inside of her mind. Modiste, watch your back, babe. But this sort of passion... She does look obviously angry at this point and think this kind of passion is what might get her into some trouble next series. Because it's retaliatory, isn't it? It's, yeah, it is, it, yeah. It's something that comes not from her just observing. This is when her emotions are involved. Right. When it's someone close to her, so we see it with Eloise, we see it with Colin. Targeted. And here Jen is being attacked. She has a tendency to protect those around her through her work but sometimes she can be a bit spiky or be a bit quick in how she reacts it's almost not even just to protect jen though it's it's just because she has like a plan it's to further her plans yeah <laughs> yeah you that's know what a I good mean? point it is her friendship with Jen is very tied into her business strategy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, for Benefi fans, there is also a little nod to an <laughs> offer from a gentleman here as Portia accuses Lady Cowper of stealing a cook. And uh, I mentioned this earlier, but I also just love how Prudence repeatedly offers to sing here. We'll see if this <laughs> is revisited in season three. Yeah, the wedding scene. We've said it before. We're a, we're a fan of a chaotic Featherington dinner. Yeah. More welcome next year. Thank you very much. But it's the next day at Aubrey Hall. We've had time to recover from our slightly tense dinner with the Cowpers. And we're going to be joining Ben and Colin in the nursery for a little spot of afternoon tea. Oh, I love this about him. I love that he's so straight-laced. He never <laughs> yeah. steps out of line. But yeah. he's a drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just generic opiates. Generic opiates? Is that what you say? He's the reason that they have the warning label, the content warning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, Colin's boring. He, he doesn't do anything. He's so straight. Like, yeah, he's he's bringing the opium back. Um, so Colin has noticed how troubled Ben was during Pall Mall. He's come up with his own solution. And he says, if it's a clear mind you seek, brother, I may know how to help. Because if there's one person on this world that has a clear mind, it's Colin Bridgerton. <laughs> he says that worldly travellers use it as a way to open their minds and transcend ordinary anxieties. He wishes he was a worldly traveller. Bless him. <laughs> there's some uh, hints for me in my travels, I guess. Yeah, you have you got on the opiates yet, Obs? I don't have any opiates. Um, <laughs> I've got some gnocchi in there. You've got some ham in your purse. Yeah, I've got some. I left that in Albania. But quite revealingly, Colin says, or oh, perhaps it will allow you to escape the thoughts that have been plaguing your mind, the doubts, the questions that seem to linger, no matter how far you go to escape them. Do we? 
Do we need to talk to someone, Colin? Are you doing all right there, love? <laughs> yeah, they didn't have many therapists in those days. No. So Colin gives Benedict a glimpse of his inner turmoil here when he hints that he had trouble escaping from the thoughts that plagued him during his travels. For fans who hope that Benedict plays a role in season three, it's worth noting that Benedict recognizes that Colin is unsettled and asks him if he is quite well, though Colin deflects. Sorry, it's heartbreaking because this is such a revealing moment for Colin where we really see that he he wasn't doing too great. Yes. And that he, he has been struggling. And it's played off quite comedically here, which, again, I'm a big fan of the comedy, but... (laughs) Colin, sweetheart. Yeah, I do feel a little bad for him in this scene. But then one of my favorite Colin moments ever finally (laughs) arrives as Colin admits that he once stared at a single blade of grass for hours while high on his drug (laughs) tea. The visual of this to me is hilarious, and I believe Obbs is also a fan of grass, isn't that right? Not that kind of grass, Lecky. (laughs) No, your your story of what you think you're doing here. (laughs) That made me sound like I'm just sitting here. Well, explain. Um, yes, I do have a story, a bit of a obslaw, if you will. I once played a single blade of grass in a production of The Lion King. Let me set the scene for you. It was year six. No, it was year five. I was like nine or ten, grade. and we were doing a production of The Lion King as like a mini play within a big. There was a lot of plays, but we had a, a Lion King section because we've been to London to see The Lion King, my first ever Western musical. And so, as part of this production that we were putting on at school, we were reenacting the Circle of Life, and so everyone was getting allocated characters. That opening sequence where you've got zebras, you've got wildebeest, you've got lions. We were all getting our roles allocated out to us, and I was like, "Am I going to be a giraffe?" Am I going to be a zebra? I was like, I could be a lion. I've got like the hair to be a lion. (laughs) And what role did obviously Oblivious get allocated in the production of The Lion King? The best role in the animal kingdom is? A single blade of grass. I'm not joking. (laughs) Not a field of grass, a single blade. (laughs) Not even like a tree. (laughs) They made me dress up. I had to wear green tights. I had to hold my hands in a point and sway during the circle of life as everyone else behind me got to be incredible animals. So I can tell you now, had a six foot man in baby blue stared at me for hours and hours on end as I was being a blade of grass, I would have been creeped out, is what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is solidarity with the blades of grass on Paxos. I understand how difficult life for us can be. And I understand that being stared at would be very off-putting. But I also agree, Lecky, I love the visual, that that's how Colin spent... Colin drugged up to his eyeballs on tea. What does he do? Does he go rave? Does he go cause chaos? He sits in a field and thinks. I love him. (laughs) But what is interesting about this scene is where they actually are as they're taking their little tea. They're actually in the Aubrey Hall nursery that would have been all of their nurseries when they were young kids. And Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting choice to put them there. And it's something that was quite a deliberate decision. So the director of the episode said one of the reasons that the team placed Colin and Benedict inside the Aubrey Hall playroom during the drug scene was to help symbolise their internal struggles. This entire conversation is about how both of them are struggling to find their place in the world, how are struggling to move forward in life. And they deliberately seated them in the little chairs because it's really funny. I think, like, you'll mention this in a minute, how they're, they're like, mm-hmm. the, they're, like, crouched into the little tea set. Yes. Next to them is a little tea set next to them of dolls having them. So choosing to put them in this state of childhood and that regression was very deliberate for this scene. Yeah, I just love the juxtaposition of the, the giant Bridgerton brothers and, like, <laughs> they're surrounded by toys and, like, next to them is this children's tea set, which is very funny. It's right next to their table. They basically look like giants here. I'm sure Obs will have more to say about this, but we'd also like to call attention to the many horses on display in this room. Mm-hmm. The room is filled with toy horses and rocking horses, and behind Colin, you even see several interesting drawings there's a drawing of Aubrey Hall that though it appears to look more like a castle and one of the countryside and a rocking horse interestingly there's also a little red-headed doll tacked up next to the rocking horse which just brings to mind Pollen's meet cute and romancing Mr. Bridgerton and it makes me wonder if baby Pollen may be met in a similar way in their youth and we'd also like to call attention to another doll sitting at the toy tea set this particular little doll is wearing a yellow dress that looks very similar to the dress that Penn wears in the Beauty and the Beast scene in 204 so it's almost like Colin is surrounded by memories of Penelope it be his childhood and perhaps the way they met and this might go a little bit of the way to explaining why he can't see Penelope in a romantic capacity just yet because she's so tied into his childhood and if there's one thing Colin is trying to do it's find his way forward in life but as we see here he's paralyzed by the past and I love the detail of the red-headed doll I think it's genius and I do think it represents the meeting for the first time when they were kids 
But I also think that having this scene in the nursery, like the director said, really represents Colin's mental state in the first half of season two. We already know that his trip to Greece didn't go how he thought it would, and he's still come back just as troubled and full of regrets and doubts as he did in season one. And next episode, as we'll see, Marina says that he's a boy caught up in his own fantasies. And it's so fitting to me that he's sitting in the Bridgerton nursery with his brother and he's enticing Benedict to escape his troubles through an elixir. So what we find out is that Colin's coping mechanisms whilst he's been away, instead of confronting the issues head on, has been to escape into a world of fantasy, exactly as Marina said. And ironically, Colin thinks that this is what's giving him a clear mind, but we see that it hasn't and he's still caught up and we're gonna need that trip next week for him to finally break through. And like you said earlier, Lecky, this is the closest anyone in his family comes to acknowledging that Colin isn't okay. And he sat there in his nursery with images of his past, his childhood, exploding around him, and he can't move into the future. And there are so many rocking horses, and just like the rocking horses, I think Colin is enacting, is pretending to be moving forward and pretending to be distinguishing himself, but he internally isn't actually getting anywhere. He's paralysed by the past, which will dig into next week and a little bit later in this episode actually but before we leave the nursery you know take your drugs benedict he downs it all in one i bet colin sips like a teaspoon and goes oh, <laughs> drugged up and as benedict absolutely downs the whole glass he says my favorite lines hell and the devil But late that evening, we have a dinner over at Aubrey Hall where all the Bridgertons, minus Francesca, I don't know what happened to her from the morning. She's disappeared <laughs> off screen. Still playing piano somewhere. <laughs> She's playing piano. She's playing piano. And as we see, Colin's little elixir has worked its wonders and Benedict is flying high with the stars of Greece. Yeah, this is an exceptionally well-lit room as Benedict reminds us here. Benedict is a bit high, but how's Colin doing, Veg? So Colin isn't as high as Benedict. It was originally supposed to be the both of them were high and Newt said that he was excited to play that role but then it did get changed and Luke kept getting messages he hadn't yet read the script he said he tended to leave it a bit last minute and he said that all the cast mates were messaging him like oh I can't wait to see you super high and he was like oh my god this sounds like it's gonna be really funny and then in the end it was more funny if it was just Benedict who was high and Colin a bit more anxious about the situation and being caught which I think is a cute way that it's worked out. I kind of disagree. Oh I wanted him to be. I, I think it would have been funnier to see them both high just because like Newt's is such a funny a good comedic actor. It would have been a great comedic moment for sure yeah. I imagine him being there like I get this really great scene where Colin gets to like loosen up and be really like, a different yeah. side to Colin and it's like get the cravat back on take your little sip <laughs> yes. of tea yes he, he probably <laughs> thought he was able to loosen up for once but no yeah. he's still yeah because yeah. he's in quite he's in like a suit and we do like him in formal wear um mm-hmm. we like mm-hmm. him in his cream waistcoats and stuff but yeah it would have been nice if he'd been able to sort of loosen it up let loose with Benedict but it is good to know that he is he is still high he is high lightly high He's got the munchies. <laughs> there, there's levels. Um, but what I like about this scene is that Colin initially mentions his travels to Greece to cover for Benedict. But when they cut back to him later in this scene, he's still talking about his travels. He seems to have gotten carried away with his own bruise there. Eloise does not look particularly impressed. I have to give a shout out to the way that Ben strokes the arm of the servant who replaces his glass here. Yes. And Colin's got a big dinner. We love to see it. And later, Anthony will blame the two of them for being up to no good. It's definitely their fault that the evening got ruined and Edwina was left in tears, wasn't it, Anthony? Later that night, Colin goes to check on Ben to see how he's doing, if he's coming down from his higher, and he finds him in the nursery doing a very, a very different type of painting. <laughs> yeah, so an adorable moment ensues where Ben greets his brother by squishing his cheeks. You can't blame him. <gasps> I love this so much. Before dragging him before what appears to be a finger painting of a psychedelic horse. <laughs> <laughs> Benedict. I love him in this scene. I know we're not a Benedict podcast, but for this particular moment, I am. We shall all be witness to your talents one day. (laughs) And I so hope that Benedict plays a key role next season. 
but who's going to come in and join them? Olivia Louise. And she kind of pokes fun at Colin by hinting that she's exhausted of hearing about his trip to Greece and remarks, if you loved it there so much, why did you ever return home? And here we get the answer, no Poland fan wants to hear, with <laughs> Colin not so subtly asking if Eloise is in touch with Marina. And he reacts when Eloise reveals that the new Lady Crane, in fact, lives nearby. But again, we just get this reminder that his travels left him with more questions than answers. Eloise says, I'd have thought your travels banished Miss Thompson, Lady Crane, rather, from your mind completely. And Colin answers, funny how distance is no match for memory, is it not? And I'm telling you, the amount of work I've put in recently as Colin Bridgerton's defence lawyer, I'm not getting paid for this work. I'm like a free advocate at this point. But I just want to say that fans do get quite frustrated with Colin here, that he's still caught up with Marina and that he's still slightly enamoured with the idea of her. But I always think that it's actually very human of him. Yeah, it all ended really quickly, Mm -hmm. last series. I think we forget sometimes how confusing it was for him and how he didn't get an apology and it wasn't answered for him. And he went away and found himself even more burdened. As much as we'd love him to come back and be like, Penelope, you love my life. That's just not a realistic representation of what it's like when you've been in a situation like that. And I think he's really confused and we see how next week he's going to take that and go to see Marina. But I think deep down, what Colin really needs is closure and he hasn't been given that closure and he's gone away and been completely caught up in that. So I totally understand where he's coming from here. And it's what Colin said earlier. He says it was the thoughts that plagued his mind, the doubts, the questions that seemed to linger. He didn't get answers and he needs them. And I get it. There's our setup for next episode. Colin, get your carriage ready, but not in that way, sadly, because you're going to be going on a little journey and we'll be doing a little bit more despairing. But to lighten the mood before we end this scene, we have lovely Benedict shouting out to everyone. He's honoured to accept their acceptance. And Eloise asks Colin if he knows how long this is going to last. And Colin replies, devil if I know. If you need to pick me up, this quote is actually from Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. We're going back in town. Lady Wilson has published a brand new issue. And she appears to have written about our new favourite Mideast. How exciting. Can't wait to read this ringing endorsement. What's she got to say, Lady Veg? An artist must be free to follow their muse, but it appears the ton has fallen prey to the fickleness of fashion. For how else might one explain the tawdry, dare I say vulgar, gown sported lately by Miss Cressida Cowper? Nayfair's newest modiste has one thing and one thing only going for her. She is new. Everyone, pour one out for the nameless, ruined modiste. Times are hard, and how cruel of pen to criticize a modiste work. It's not as if someone else has done so in this very episode. Uh, moving inside the modiste shop, I love Penn's entrance in this scene. Earlier, that she was visibly flustered and nervous, but now we see a much more confident Penn, and businesswoman who views Genevieve as an equal, and Penjen, Penelope, is born. She is far more confident. We've talked about Penelope's voice before, specifically in relation to Genevieve's, and I think here her voice is so calm so confident Penn also aligns herself with Jen here and draws the direct parallels between the two she notes that they're both observant so she says it's your job to be observant is it not but interestingly she notes that Genevieve's job is to conceal secrets such as pregnancies and things like that whereas if we look at Penn her job is actually to reveal to be observant and to reveal secrets Mm -hmm. but Penelope adds that in a world of men you have built a thriving business much like myself I think we can be of use to one another and I actually really like that their friendship is built on this shared understanding. I know it could be interpreted as being a bit more transactional, but I think they both respect, they have a unique viewpoint within the ton of what it is like to be a woman with the business. And I mean, unnamed ruined Medice aside, it's a really nice way to see the two of them. We don't really get many scenes with Penelope being so honest about her work. This is you know, the first person who she's come clean to. And I love the way that it's framed. So if you look behind Penelope, there are mirrors and light in the background, showing uh, symbolising that she's revealing herself, her true identity. It's a motif we've seen last season. And obviously we know for many reasons it'll be important in season three. But here it's all about her identity and stepping into that light with Genevieve. And we also know that Genevieve has her own hidden identity. So it's playing with both (laughs) of them, seeing eye to eye. And what I will point out is that we never actually see Genevieve reveal her true identity to Penn. But we do know that she must at some point. Because in a future episode, Genevieve is suddenly no longer speaking with a French accent. (laughs) So I like to think that she went back to Jen's house. They popped open some wine. Cutscene somewhere. Queen. Yeah. And Genevieve was like, oh, yes, Miss Penelope. Oh, by the way, I'm not actually French. <laughs> I love another lovely scene, as we said, 
great framing and another great dress that Colin will never see. Very sad. The cut mm. of this one could be slightly better. Buster's a bit loose, but Penn does have a new friend on hand with the Mideast Genevieve, not the unnamed Mideast, <laughs> to help with that. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll see if she will do so in series three. Is that her main motivation? Is she like, if I line myself with you, you might <laughs> yeah. start yeah, coating my dress in better? Places. Maybe, maybe you backed the wrong horse there, Penn. Maybe you should have gone with unnamed the... Unnamed Mideast. Yes. <laughs> Once again, beautiful dress. Colin wasn't around to see it. Surely that won't happen next week, eh? But there ends our episode. We don't have any pollen scenes together today, but we had some time with them. We hung out with them. We ruined some Palmar games. We ruined some Medice. All in a day's work around here. <laughs> Lucky, have you got a whistle up? Have you got a whistle down for the episode? So for me, the whistle up is the revelation that Colin spent hours staring at a blade of grass in Greece. <laughs> what an image. Have you got a whistle down for us? seen a grown man shoot a deer followed by watching a grown man get taken down by IP. <laughs> and that my friends is called the circle of life yeah. rest in peace edmund fly high with archie oh god i bet no don't <laughs> are, are they both bees just floating around is archie a butterfly and edmund's a bee and they're just both kind of hanging around at mayfair somewhere that's cute Archie's a moth oh, in a dabbling den. He better hide next season before dabbling pins him to something. I have a very, <laughs> I have a very important question. <gasps> do you? Obs. <gasps> yes, vegetable. What do you think of the episode and what is your bow rating? This is one of my favourite non-pollen episodes. This is like my, if I want like a light, genuinely, if I want like an easygoing episode, <laughs> I put this on, which now makes me sound like a psychopath. <laughs> This is a pollen bow rating, right? This isn't like a general Correct. rating. We don't get pollen together, which is always sad, but it does make our jobs a little bit easier on the podcast. Kind of getting high, talking about blades of grass. Pen, Rune and Medice, they're at their best. I'm going to give this. Can you give this a three? I love it. Also, Pen looks great. She's whistle downing all over the place. And Penelope. Penelope. My rating is a four, and I'll say mm. this is why. Because of the, the nursery and their foreshadowing of baby pollen, <gasps> and we get to see baby Colin this episode. All things I'd like to see revisited in season three. Yes, my rating is also a three. I think mm. it was a fun episode. We got to see more of Colin's personality, and I really like the foreshadowing that we had, and Pen looks Great. She does. Reminder that the fewer bows, the better. <laughs> it's all going to go downhill next episode in terms of our bow rating. Yeah, it's a big episode next. Thank you for joining us for our rewatch of episode three and for joining us on our important Medice watch. Stay tuned for next week as we'll be on the watch with someone else, perhaps. S but until then, Lecky, where can everyone find us? You can find us at Pod on Instagram and TikTok. And you can join the pollen chat over on reddit.com forward slash r forward slash pollen And Beans, though you're not here with us on this call, you're always in our hearts. Love so you, do Beans. do as the honours. We love you, Beans. And see us out. Does the violin do 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 do